This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. We have a very, very big show for you tonight. Lots of information to throw your way. First, introductions, as always. I am Ryan Moreland. With me tonight is everyone's favorite camp body, Matt Nacrone. What's up, Matt? Just playing on the bubble, man. Trying to make it. Waiting to bag those groceries. That's right. <laughs> And also with me, you just heard him, Glenn, no Mockenheiser, Lotzenheiser. I don't need to mock. Everything I do is perfect. Just do it once, do it right. That's simple. That's how you should live life. That is. Um, before we jump into the show, I got two things I got to throw out to you guys. If you've listened to the show recently, you know we're doing the NFL Pick'em this season on Yahoo.com. You want to be a part of it, you can... All three of us are going to be on it, so you can take us on. There's going to be prizes, a lot of cool stuff. Check it out. You can find out everything about it on our website, www.2doneuncensored.podbean.com. And there's a page that says NFL Pick'em. It'll tell you everything you need to know, and there's even a link to send you right to the site so you can sign up for it. Also, <laughs> Also on the site, we are going to be starting to write stuff. We're going to put some writing, some articles that come from us and, and some close friends of the show are going to start showing up. The very first one coming up here that Glenn actually wrote as a preview for this Chargers game coming up here on Saturday. This is going to be the first of many articles and stuff that you're going to see up there, so definitely check out the site and keep up to date with it and stuff, and definitely check out Glenn's article. If you're listening to this right now, it's already up. Glenn's article is already up there, so you can go look at it right now and see what he has to say about this first preseason game. It's awful. You should definitely read it. <laughs> Give it a look. All right, let's jump in the mailbag, guys. First one here from a close friend of the show, Morocco Taylor. He asks, could you guys see the battle for the other guard spot going down to the wire, and who's your favorite to win it? I don't think it goes down to the wire. Probably by week two of the preseason, they're going to be pretty much settled because they want to get somebody in there and get them settled down, let the line start gelling together. I really think it's going to be Quentin Spain. He's looked decent in practice so far. He's opened up some decent holes. I don't think that anybody else is going to push him out of there. So right now the battle's probably for that second spot. Yeah, I agree. I think that Quentin Spain probably has this thing locked up. The uh, The main point of these camps and the preseason and everything else is so these guys can get together and build continuity and, and really gel together and not have peace here, a peace there. And I think with more stability up front with everybody, I think everyone will play better. Yeah, I'm going to agree with what you guys said here. I think that you're going to see it in the next couple of weeks, a guy be named starter. The only way I could see it coming down to the wire is if Quentin Spain gets injured at this point, and then it's going to be you know, shaken up, and then it could go down to the wire. But I think Quentin Spain's your guy here. 
Next one, Josh Pryor writes into the show, which position battle are you going to be most closely watching in this Chargers preseason game? Honestly, probably the wide receivers in this one for me. I just want to see if anybody steps up in live competition and how well they they play. Sharp has looked so great so far. I want to see him actually do it in a live game with someone who's trying to knock his socks off, trying to earn a roster spot. So that's the group that worries me the most, and that's the group I'm looking the most forward to seeing. Yeah, that's the sexy pick. I think them in the corners are always going to be intriguing, but to go with a dark horse, kind of interested to see the linebacking core as far as the second string depth positions. Like, for instance, I think David Bass, who's already had a pretty decent camp, I think he's going to end up being one of the last guys that we end up keeping. I think if he continues to play well, he'll he'll probably solidify a spot as one of our backups. So I'll go ahead and say the linebackers. Obviously, the first choice here is the wide receivers, and I think Matt made a great point with linebackers. Just to be different, I'll pick a different spot here, and I think you're talking about that third and fourth guy, or third and fourth, whatever you want to put it, guy that sticks to on the running back core. We Obviously, I think we're going to see McCluster there. You're going to see Henry and Murray there. Who else is going to stick there? Is it going to be Sankey? Is it going to be Andrews? Could it be Cobb? So I'm going to be watching see what those running backs, those three guys do, and, and who gets the upper hand in these preseason games because there's likely only going to be one on the team by the start of week one. All right, next one here by Cody Ledoux. Who do you see us upsetting this year in the regular season? So I wanted you guys to pick a team that, that we're playing in the regular season that's tough here that you think we have a good chance of beating. Looking at this list, it's – it's really hard to tell. I mean, if you watch the pundits pick their guys, they're picking us to have a pretty mediocre season. Most of us have said somewhere around 6-10. and 10. So getting to that sixth game is going to kind of probably be an upset somewhere in there. Let's go ahead and just say the Chargers, by that point of the season, they should be pretty well established if they're not injured. I don't know how much of an upset it will be. Just where at San Diego, I think that will be a game that we can go out there and surprise them a little bit. I'm going to make it plain and simple and go with week one with the Vikings, considering that they just made the playoffs last season. I guess if we win that game, that'd be considered an upset. I know a lot of guys, Ryan included, thinks that we don't really have a great chance to win that. I'm not really sold on the Vikings other than their run game, and I think if we can get the uh, the defense to solidify early, I think we have a really good chance of winning that one. Uh, anybody we played the first week, we could beat. We've proven it the last two years. We could play the Patriots with Tom Brady and two Gronkowskis and beat them in the first week. Yeah, I didn't want to go that route. But <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole week one thing, I, I understand that. But, yeah, I was just, I, I legitimately think we could beat the Vikings. Well, no matter wrong. what. There's yeah. a shot. Yeah, I'm, I, I know that we keep having great success on opening week, but I'm not sold that that's going to continue. I'm not sold on the voodoo yet, but I think a good team, not a really great team, but a good team I think we're going to beat week two. Detroit Lions, this is an offense that's going to be starting to gel. Obviously the loss of Calvin Johnson weighs heavy. It's going to be the first really big test for our secondary. We've got a lot of new pieces in that secondary and we're really starting to build something that's respectable and what was probably one of, if not the weakest position group for us last season. I'd say right there with the offensive line. So the pass-happy Lions in Detroit, I think that we could end up stealing that game. The secondary has to play well, but we all know how bad that defense is. So I think you're going to be able to see if the offense can stick with the high-powered offense the Lions have and see if the defense can come up with some stops and 
Tennessee could end up beating them. This is a team that was 11 and 5 2 years ago and and 6 and 10 I believe last year. So they're not great. They're not going to blow you away, but I they're still a team that was better than us last year. I think we're going to end up beating them week 2. You know, if you look at it, Matt's the only one who really took a chance here cuz the Lions and the Chargers, they aren't rated that high above us. If you look at any of the power polls, the the Vikings are at least middle of the pack. So I I think uh Ryan and I went the low-hanging fruit, and we get to win because Matt's going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, man. Yeah, that's Look, what... man, we, we, we had a three-win season last year. If we win games, those are considered upsets. So I agree. What, it is you what know, it is. We're so far down, if we win four games, that's an upset for somebody. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, as long as it's not the Jaguars, I consider it an upset <laughs> this season. <laughs> Fuck the Jaguars. All right, this one in from Mallory Walsh. Which camp body or player in that fringe might not make the team do you think people are overlooking and has a real shot of end up making this team? I don't know that I'd call him a camp body. LaShawn Sims is a guy that a lot of people didn't really like to pick. I think he's going to make the roster. I think he's going to push some of the other guys off the roster. But I don't know that he's going to be considered a camp body. If you're looking at camp bodies, Trey McBride's probably one of those guys. He's really playing well. And he's young. I see maybe if they keep six, he could push somebody down. But we're probably going to talk about that later in the show just because his name has come up a little bit this last week. So he won't be much of a surprise. But of of the other guys that are camp bodies, unless it's one of the linebackers, maybe a B.W. Webb or somebody like that. But even he's far down. So Cody Riggs, I'm kind of all over the place with it. But I don't have a good answer for that one. I agree with you completely. Every every guy you named, I would throw David Bass in there also, but my number one guy would be Trey McBride. I think he should be our kick returner this season. I want to keep six receivers to keep him on the team. I wouldn't mind having him and McCluster back there as insurance, but I would rather have him turning kicks than McCluster. So um, my answer is Trey McBride. I like Trey McBride a lot, but I think my answer is going to be Cody Riggs. Just because of the way that the secondary is right now, we haven't got to see a lot of him yet. He is a promising talent for where we got him. And it's not like there's mind-blowing talent in that secondary right now. And a lot of the talent that is there in a lot of places, I think, is aging and getting to the point where we need to find some replacements for them in the next few years. So I think uh, he has a chance... But a lot of the guys that you named there are all in that could they, couldn't they. And, of course, Trey McBride, who we're going to be talking about a lot about later, is definitely one of those guys, especially if he keeps performing the way he has. Last question in the mailbag, guys. Tyler Munson asked this one. Do you believe John Robinson will try to market one of the first-round draft picks we have next year in order to get more picks in that draft? Absolutely. I think he tries to get a first-round pick in the next draft, too, so he can trade that one forward and trade that one forward. He's going to do what we all do in Madden and just trade those picks to get extra picks later on. And we saw you know, so much with New England trading around. I could see him definitely trading a pick and trying to get an extra second-round pick, an extra first-round pick somewhere, make it valuable somewhere down the road as opposed to just this coming draft. I agree. I think that he tries to get back that pick we gave up to get Conklin. Ultimately, I think it all depends on who is actually there in the first round, who's declaring for the draft and whatnot. I think that obviously you want to get as much value as you can, but I think depending on where we pick, where the Rams allow us to pick, I think that's going to play a major part in it because if there's there's two guys that we can't pass on in that first round, then 
I could see him taking those two guys. I mean, it all depends on what, what we need at the time and who's there. So, I mean, if there's two can't, can't pass on prospects there, then that, that'd be the only way I see him keeping those picks. Which I'd love to see. Hell yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you guys. Why wouldn't he? He got a king's ransom for that first overall pick this year. Why wouldn't you, after coming off of such a great trade, why wouldn't you try to do it again and help this team as much as you can? He's a smart guy. So far he's proved to be a pretty good general manager as far as we've gotten to see him so far at least. And I think he's really set this team definitely in the right path and then definitely you know off on the right foot and and I think he's going to continue to do that and Glenn brought it up this ties to New England this is exactly what they do this is what they do the best that's why they keep continuously having one of the best teams in the NFL is because of the what they are able to do on draft day yeah the best part about it is also is that we've never been known to do that and look where it got us so I mean this change is very very much welcomed oh absolutely but that's all we have for the mailbag. You want to hear your mailbag question on this show. We put out posts every week so you can comment on them. If you don't see the posts, you can just send us a Facebook message, shoot us a message on Twitter with your question at any time during the week, and we'll see. And we whittle, always whittle it down to the best one. So if you don't hear it this week, you might hear it next week or so on and so forth. But that's how you get it on the show. But now we are going to give it over to the anchor man. Glenn Lotzenheiser, so we can get some news. The Human Torch could not get a bank loan. The Human Torch could... Oh, hello there, Titans fans. I'm coming to you live from beautiful San Diego. Their <laughs> professional football team, the Chargers, will be coming to do battle with your Tennessee Titans this very weekend. San Diego, discovered by the Germans in 1904. They named it San Diego, which, of course, is German for a whale's vagina. <laughs> All right, getting down to the actual news here. First up, we've got Request and Huff. He's picked up a one-game ban for violating the league's substance abuse policy. I still don't know what he did. I'm going to guess Purple Drink. Uh, he'll miss the season opener as a result. Do you think this could affect his actually making the team? Oh, that's tough for me. It's a tough question here because he's not a guy that blows you away talent-wise, but he's very versatile. We talked about it when we talked about the secondary, Glenn. We both like him to make the move from safety to cornerback. His versatility really brings a lot to the team. Obviously, guys that do more normally stick to the team. But you definitely worry about something like this, a substance abuse, of course. First time ever getting in trouble for anything like this. I still think he makes the team especially considering the talent that we have back there and his versatility. But this is definitely something to look forward in the future. You get another one of these, and you're not showing extreme talent. He doesn't take a giant step in talent. And the next couple of years you get another one of these, you're probably going to be packing your bags. Yeah, I'm not sure we even know what he took. You know, honestly, from what I've been hearing from the the high profile media guys that he may not make the team. And I think it was PK even that said he doesn't think he makes the team because of this. With all that aside, I would have thought for sure he was going to make it because of, like Ryan said, his versatility. I still say yes. I don't think, I mean, for a one game that it's, it's going to be a slap on the wrist. And I think he'll bounce back, especially if he plays well in camp and then in the preseason, because he can play, he can practice during that time. So he's missing one game against Minnesota. Um, he's not a he's not a starter. So how much we miss him, I'm not sure. 
but he definitely needs to make a splash and play harder while he's on the playing field to earn his spot. So I, I think he does make the team. My inside sources say that it was Pop Rocks and Coke. He was mixing the two, which is a dangerous combination. But awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I think he makes the squad still. He and Damon Stafford, they're going to be hard to get rid of. Damian Stafford, they're going to be hard to get rid of, even for Kevin Byard. He, he may have a hard time moving past those guys in the depth chart just because they are established. They have been here for a while, and they offer a lot of versatility and are very good special teams players. So I don't think one game kills them off. I'm not sure uh, who they keep on the roster for that one game because he doesn't count against your 53-man group for the week one. So he'll be off the squad for week one. Then they'll probably cut somebody and put him back on there. Yeah, he'll be highly motivated, I think, and I think he probably will earn his chance to, to definitely stick around. All right, next up we've got Kendall Wright, who's been a hot topic on the uh, Facebook boards lately. He was relaxing at home watching a Von Dom marathon, Thought he tried doing a little bit of a Von Damage of his own, dropped into the splits and tweaked his hamstring. After having a good showing at the OTAs, he's now missing camp. The report came out today he's going to miss a couple of weeks. Coach Blarkey is saying he's missing a lot of work every day he's out. He said he's not happy about it. The message boards and the Facebook groups have taken this as Blarkey saying, Wright is either faking it or should suck it up and get back out there. What's your take on this highly controversial non-issue? Yeah, I think you summed it up when you said non-issue. Malarkey wants him to be out there. Malarkey wants everybody to be out there because he's an NFL head coach and he realizes that every day that you miss, even if you're a superstar, you're missing stuff. Especially in a year when you have a new head coach coming in, working on a new system, you have to be there. You have to soak it up. Just because Wright has been there for a few years doesn't mean anything if you're not learning it and you're not putting in the practical use of this new system because it's new to everybody it doesn't matter if you've been here for years or if this is your first year with the team so from a learning standpoint you want to have everybody out there i don't think that this means anything i've seen a lot of people overreact and and say that Wright's as low as as fifth on the depth chart or he's not going to make the team that's ridiculous if he comes back healthy he's going to be top two on the depth chart, guarantee it, even if he misses the time because of the talent that he has and the lack of talent we have at wide receiver. So I'm not reading much into this. I just think that he wants to have everybody there. He does miss them because he wants everybody, you know, you want everybody healthy, you want everybody playing ideally at every single moment, especially in training camp when you're learning a new system. Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of on the fence as far as whether the 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 fans in the groups are overreacting. I kind of I kind of get a sense of what they're saying just as, as far as Wright's durability the last few years. He hasn't lived up to his first round draft status. I think that with who we have in the core, he's obviously one of the top talents still with everything that's happened. Malarkey's comments are fine with me. I think he's fed up with guys getting by and not really putting it all on the field for him or for the team rather. But I, I think Mar- Malarkey realizes that, you know, he doesn't have a huge window. He's trying to get to where he needs to go and get there fast. And obviously injuries happen. I think Wright will be on the team. I don't think he can, well, put it this way. I think he makes the team and, and I think he is best suited in the slot. So whether he is on the depth chart at three or whatever, I still think that he's going to be a major part of this offense. And I think he's just sending it. Malarkey is sending him a message telling him he needs to get back as soon as he can because time is money. 
I agree. I like Malarkey's no-nonsense commentary, like on DGB when he says he's got to get better, he's got to start working harder off the field. Same thing with Kendall Wright. The thing that I think Malarkey is most worried about is that Kendall's going to hear a trainer or a doctor say this is a six-week injury and then take the full six weeks when he could have started playing at week four. I think that's the kind of precedent he's trying to set is don't just listen to the doctor. Play as soon as you're physically able to get out there because we've all got to do this. All of our jobs are on the line. Next up, we've got Jason Kelsey, fat corn-fed heifer on the Eagles' offensive line. He said that Chip Kelly's, it wasn't Chip Kelly's fault that the line couldn't block better for DeMarco Murray last year. He also said they didn't have the best back compared to a few years ago. Obviously, he's talking about Shady McCoy, and he's saying that Shady is definitely a better back than DeMarco Murray. So two things. First, which back would you rather have on the Titans – and second, how is it not Chip Kelly's fault that McCoy is no longer with the Eagles when he's the one who traded him for a sack of beans with a bad ACL? Uh, first off, I'd rather have Murray. I'd rather have DeMarco Murray. And I like LaShawn McCoy a lot. I think Shady's a good running back. But there's a couple of reasons. I think he fits what we're doing better. He downhill is more, a little bit bigger of a guy, and he's, he's a bruiser. And another reason i like him more is i just think that he can be a better back i think he can do more for you murray it always gets understated in his game because big running backs normally don't have good hands but demarco murray has great hands out of the backfield he can do more than i think mccoy can i think he does better better reads i think he can one cut if you ask him to i think you can put him in a lot of zone kind of blocking schemes if you ask him to. I think he's just a well-rounded running back more than LaShawn McCoy is. But I like McCoy. Not taking anything away from him. I think he's a good back, too. I'd, I'd rather have Murray, though, to be honest. Now, as for why it's not Chip Kelly's fault, because Kelst is smoking crack. That's why. That's the, that's the only reason. He doesn't want to get <laughs> blamed for him and his buddies not doing a good job. Which they didn't, and it, this was an offensive line that we expected a lot more out of, and I guess it's just because Jason Peters is there, and he's a great left tackle in this league. Maybe we were wrong about the evaluating the other guys that are on this offensive line. That was a big factor, and just using him wrong. I think the most casual of fan can see that DeMarco Murray is a guy that runs the ball downhill, and they were running him out of shotgun formations and pistol sets and such. I mean, it, anybody can see that. I just don't understand why he thinks that he's going to pull one over when I think the the most novice of fan knows this. You know, and when you're talking to to a lot of people out here that are far beyond novice level fans, especially Titans fans, because we're the best damn fans in, the, in all of the game. But yeah, it's just because he did a bad job, and he blamed. He doesn't want to get blamed for the bad job that he did. Yeah, I won't even touch on that on Kels and, and Chip Kelly or whatever. But as far as comparing Murray and McCoy, it's hard to do. They're completely different backs. I think McCoy is more explosive, obviously. can do. He's more elusive, put it that way. But as an overall package, I would take DeMarco Murray. you got to consider what we got for him and what we would have to pay to get LaShawn McCoy. McCoy's actually from my hometown in Harrisburg, PA, and I've never met the guy personally, but I know friends that have, and I've heard he's a real dick. Murray's basically the complete opposite from what I've read about him. I know he's doing his own O-line meetings before the actual team meetings have been going on the last week or so. He's done everything you could ask anyone, any veteran coming into a new team. He, he's 
definitely outdone himself as far as all that goes. But yeah, we if we use Murray correctly, and I think we will, I don't think... It's hard to say. Would you rather have Murray or McCoy? Because they're so different, man. We could we could do a lot of things with McCoy on this offense as well with Derrick Henry. I think one and two, but I'd take Murray overall. But I mean, it's it's so hard to compare the two. Way to make it personal with calling McCoy a dick. Nice, a dick. I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. He's been on my kindergartner's school project. So, dick. Well, there you go. Yeah. Now Kelly's he traded him away mostly because he talked back to him. And he was expensive. And he got a lot of other players with that same money. But McCoy was definitely the better player for the system that Kelly runs. So the fact that he traded him away to bring in DeMarco Murray just tells you Kelly's an idiot. Going on, we got the league sources confirmed that the official investigation has started in the possible sabotage of the field in the Monday Night Hall of Fame game. The game had to be canceled due to the paint that was used by the ground screw, partially melting the field and making it like a hard tar substance. The initial reports were that Tom Brady had deflated the field, but now it looks like Patriots owner Robert Kraft hired the Human Torch to melt parts of the field as retaliation to leak suspending Tom Brady for the first four games without proof of wrongdoing. Gentlemen, do you feel (laughs) the Human Torch has risked his status as a superhero by selling his services in this way, and is this just more proof that Robert Kraft has so much money he actually is the devil? The thing is with the Human Torch is you don't think that he'd be a fan of New England football. A guy that likes heat, you think he'd he'd root for a team down south. But what I'm hearing about this and what I can add to this is I've already heard that Tom Brady has destroyed his phone, he destroyed Giselle's phone, and he destroyed Belichick's phone already just to be on the safe side. You guys are joking all around. I don't have any jokes. I'm still pissed off there was no football the other night. (laughs) <laughs> I, I get that I get that however I'm pretty sure the Human Torch is a San Francisco fan because he's a flamer oh, oh nice alright take a bow Paul Kahersky thinks Justin Hunter doesn't make the team this year and says it's either Harry Douglas or Andre Johnson doesn't make it either he's saying those two guys are competing against each other and Hunter's just basically off the team at this point that leaves Trey McBride who we've already talked about a little bit He's trying to work hard in camp. He's working his way to try to force the team to keep him as a six receiver with his special teams contributions. If they only keep five, do you think McBride has shown enough in the preseason that he can force somebody else off the roster? Or if they cut him, has he shown enough that he gets signed by somebody else and can't make it to our practice squad? I'm going to start by saying that I think Douglas is going to be the one that go, just adding on to that over Andre Johnson. Even though Johnson's easy to cut right now because of that veteran minimum, but uh, keep the cheap guy who's playing lights out right now. As for McBride, I think he can stick to the team. I don't think he's done enough yet, but he's definitely putting the right foot forward right now, and I think that if he keeps this up, he definitely has a chance to make this team. They're looking for guys, when you have a new system like this, it's your best chance to make a really good impression. Because you have a new coaches, you have a new general manager, you have a new system. So go out there and play better than the, you know, the guy that is supposedly more talented than you, and you'll stick to the team. So I, I definitely think that he's heading in the right direction for sure. As good as he's been playing, but it's, it's not there yet. You have to show it off in the games now. You have to have good performances in these preseason games, really turn heads and make them really think about you. 
Justin Hunter's so hard, man, to really, like, you watch these videos, that video that he had in the offseason where he jumped and touched a 13-foot ceiling, and just a freakish athletic ability, and he's one of those guys every offseason that you get excited about, and then it just doesn't translate onto the field. I don't know if it's a mental thing, which you hear a lot about. I don't know if you know exactly what it is, where where you're missing this, where we're lost in translation, but... Yeah, I think that it could end up being McBride over Hunter if if Hunter can't just continues this mediocrity on the field and McBride continues to impress. Somebody on the page joked around and said that Justin Hunter deserves to be in the preseason Hall of Fame because that's that's the only time he shows up. <laughs> I, I want to just first of all say give props to john robinson for that awesome contract he he signed with andre johnson you you cannot get better than that that being said i don't think no matter who we cut other than maybe johnson i don't know if, if we're his last chance in the league but i will say between hunter douglas and mcbride i don't think any three of those are going to be around for our practice squad i think whoever we cut is is going to another team I really hope it's McBride, man. I want to keep him around. I think that with his special teams, he brings that extra step, um, something we need. And I think that he can be a receiver in this league. Also, he might not be an elite receiver, but I think he can be just as productive, if not more, than those other two guys. So give the kid a shot, man. That's who I'm rooting for. Yeah, I like McBride a lot, too. I think Douglas is probably the odd man out, though he has been playing really well, and he is under contract all the way through next season, so he's the most expensive guy of that group to cut. Hunter's in his last year. McBride's a one-year guy anyway. He's easier to cut. So, obviously, Douglas is a more expensive guy to cut. I still think that, in the end, it's Andre Johnson over Harry Douglas because Andre Johnson can mentor these other big, young receivers. I think Hunter probably ends up making the team if they keep six. If they don't keep six, he's gone. And Who are your six? Because I think we keep six, but I don't think Hunter makes it. I, I think he can make it. They're going to keep Sharp. They're going to keep Matthews. They're going to keep Andre Johnson. They'll keep Kendall Wright. They'll keep Doyle Green Beckham. And then after that, you've got Hunter, McBride, and Douglas. Okay. And if Hunter will just contributed anything else he could probably make the squad because physically he is a freak he's a better athlete than trey mcbride now i like trey mcbride better i would keep mcbride before i would keep hunter at this point just because he plays hard he plays consistent and to me a big thing in the position battles as we go through this is who consistently performs who consistently gives it their all and that's what's really killing dgb that's what's hurting justin hunter they don't continuously show up there and put out hard work and it doesn't translate on the field because they're not doing the extra work that they need to be doing. Those are two guys who are depending on their athletic gifts to make this squad. And Doyle Green Beckham is starting to kind of Justin Hunter-ish. He has that feel to him. He's more productive in games. But when you start hearing comments like he needs to do more work off the field that when people aren't watching him, it sounds like Malarkey's calling him out for not putting out enough effort unless there's a camera on him. What do you think the better chance McBride has to make the team? Do you think if he returns a kickoff or if he has a solid day at receiver? If he returns a kickoff, in my opinion. He's not going to be a regular guy in the starting rotation no matter what he does as a receiver. But if he can return a kickoff if he has a good average. If 
we go out there and Dexter McCluster starts fumbling the ball into the end zone, doesn't have a good return game, all of a sudden McBride becomes a lot more valuable. I agree. And that's that's why I, I want him. Yeah, I agree. Versatility always wins out there. And I, I want to mention one thing about Andre Johnson and, you know, Harry Douglas we're talking about here. And we all know because of the league minimum contract that he has, Andre Johnson is easier to cut for the team. But we have, I believe, still like the seventh most cap room to work with. We got some money to throw around a little bit. So I think especially with how impressive Andre Johnson has been so far and what he means to the team, I think he sticks. I see a lot of people talking about how close he is to not making the team and stuff. But from what I've seen and from what the coaches talk about him, the way Mariota talks about him, I don't think it's that close. The way he's been playing, the way he's been showing out, and as much money as we have to work with, I think that Douglas has one foot out of the door. McBride's right there with him. And I think Andre Johnson's not only inside the door, but he's sitting on the couch relaxing. hes I don't think he's anywhere that close. Or I don't think he should be, at least. Yeah, it's tough, man. Do you remember last season we had same boat, Hakeem next? I thought he has a shoe in, but guess what? He didn't last too long. And he, he already got did. cut by the Saints. That's true. Yeah, I was just about to say that. He he just got cut again. So I mean, these veterans, man, they as great of a deal that we just got him and and honestly I think he's safe too, but you never know. I mean it, it's it's anybody. Andre Johnson seems like he should be safe. But we've seen it before where a guy comes in camp, he's an old veteran, and and just at the last moment, they cut him to keep the young guys for developmental purposes in the future. Douglas, he's the most expensive option to cut. I still think he's the guy to go because, like Ryan said, we've got the cap space. We're not hurting. It's just another sign that Robinson is being very smart and very careful with the roster, that he has freedom to make a decision like that. I'd rather have dead money next year than have a player than, than cut a player now just to save some money now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Okay, and lastly, it's been far too long since I took a shot at the I learned my job by playing Madden, former Titans general manager Rustin Webster. Undrafted rookie fullback Sam Berger has been looking really good in camp, playing hard, doing his job very well, proving once again that only an idiot drafts a fullback in the fourth round. Don't get me wrong, man. I love, love Fowler, but that's so stupid. And it's like... I love the kid. I love the work ethic. I love everything what we've seen from him so far. But it is such a dumb move, and I don't know. I, I mean, what else can you say about it? It's like you have a really bad breakup with a girl that, like, you just didn't see was that crazy, and then all of a sudden she was crazy as shit, and you just couldn't get away from her. And then, like, now you're looking in the rear view, and you're like, how, how, why did I do that? Like, how was I that dumb? And that's what Rustin Webster feels like to me. The crazy ex-girlfriend? Yep. With a pretty bad mustache for a girlfriend, too. I'll put that in there. <laughs> well, you know, I've had a couple of those. I didn't know you two dated, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to argue that, that it was a really dumb pick, especially in the fourth. But to not really to defend him, but our running backs coach, Sylvester Kroom, was like drooling over Fowler and... I've actually read about this last year. But for what we're doing now, man, unless, like, I'm not sure how great of a blocker Fowler is. I know that he's real versatile. He can catch the ball. He can, you know, he's pretty quick for a fullback. But, I mean, unless we're planning on using him, which, I mean, hopefully we do, but I don't see him really being, like, that big of a vocal point in our offense. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but, I mean, 
to pick him with, he, he may not have been there in the fifth round. I don't know. Nobody knows. But, I mean, Kroom had a huge part in us taking him. I know that much. So it's not all on Webster. I think I think the pick was stupid. Nobody was expecting it. I sure as hell wasn't. But, I mean, unless we're planning on really putting him in the offense and using him the way he could be used, it, it's a dumb move. Well, my thing with that is, is Kroom loved him. That's awesome. He's your running back coach. You're the GM. You have to make the best value call for your team. And look at it. He's going to end up being probably the third or fourth best player on the team this year in Madden, which is awesome, except he's a fullback. We don't need our fullback to be our third or fourth best player on the squad. I like Fowler a lot. He is very versatile. He's shown a lot of ability last year before he got hurt. I think he's a really awesome player for a fullback, which we're not going to use all that much, even in our power sets, because we're going to be more concerned about having two tight ends than having an extra fullback back there. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen a lot of fullbacks running around on the field so far. I just It's another Webster move where you found a way to put a great player on Madden, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't make your team that much better. Did, uh, did Fowler play with Henry when Henry was a freshman? Does anybody know? Honestly, I, think, I do not know. I, I think he did for one season, and I know Henry didn't really do much as a freshman, but I'm pretty sure they're familiar with each other. Well, they've been no on excuse. campus at the same time, but... For what it's worth. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe it was one of those okay. things. You ever take like a group project, and you really have no idea what you're doing, and one guy takes like a shot in the dark, and he's like, we'll do this, and you don't know what you're doing, so you're like, yeah, go with his idea. That's kind of what it feels like for this Fowler pick. Like, Rustin Webster's just like, oh, I don't I don't know what to do. His yeah, running back coach no is idea. like, what about this guy? And he's like, yeah, sure, yeah, his idea. <laughs> yeah, if that's, if that's who you want, yeah, great. Because Webster never really ran the scouting department from the sounds of it, which I always found <laughs> funny because the Falcons brought him in as a consultant because of his great scouting. And you're like, yeah. where? How, how, which guy was the great scouting pick, Mariota? Everybody would have taken Mariota. That's not a great scouting pick. Yeah. How does he have a second job after us and I can't even get in the door? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, should, should I send you my nine Madden Super Bowls? Will that get Ridic- me a job? Yeah, right. Okay, well, that's all the news we've got uh, for tonight. Let's get on with the show and um, fuck you, San Diego. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a quick commercial break right now, guys. We're going to be right back with some more. Podbean. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back from the commercial break here. I'm going to hand over the reins of the show here to Glenn. He's going to take us through some position battles and a look ahead at this San Diego game. Take the wheel, Glenn. 
There we go. All right. Kahersky released a depth chart. It's the uh, way too early in the preseason. This is more uh, I'm doing what the coaches want me to do to motivate the players to work harder depth chart. But let's take a look at it anyway. Right now, it looks like Sharp is pushing DGB to the bench. He's playing really well. Chris Fazier is just losing his mind uh, you know, in happiness that his dad is just doing so great. Or his son. Which is he? Is he his dad or his son? I guess he's his son. Cousin. Cousin. There you go. Lover. Lover. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so right now, is DGB going to be Justin Hunter 2.0 or a Kenny Britt 3.0 type bust? Nah, I don't think he's going to be either. Just DGB is going to be, I, I think, more like Pac-Man Jones kind of type. Like, I still think he's got the talent to do it, and I still think he has the talent to, like, be at the top. But he's got to like get out of his own head, you know. He's he's got to be able to to put in the work and to put in the time and to stay out of trouble, stuff like that. I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that I'm definitely not a hundred percent convinced. I'm not even fifty percent convinced that Sharp's going to be over DGB week one. Tajay Sharp struggles against press coverage. He hasn't. We haven't seen him against it yet. I think when you see him in live action, especially going against. A guy like a Verrett, who's an outstanding cornerback, you know, I think he's going to struggle. DGB's physical prowess, you know, is going to to take over in that kind of situation. But the thing is, is, is how is DGB reacting? And you don't know yet. We don't know, you know, what he's thinking because you can have two reactions to this kind of news, and we've been hearing it all off season long. You can either lace up the work boots, and it's time to earn your spot. Or, you know, it can put you in the dumps because you're losing your spot and it makes you not want to play for that team anymore and you can get upset about it. I don't know where his head's at right now. I hope it's the first one, though. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with DGB is if he has a strong mental game, he can get through and get past everything he's going through right now. I think the main thing is you got to look at is he's so physically gifted and he's just not picking it up the way, you know, a less physically talented guy like Tajay Sharp is picking up everything, doing everything he needs to do to to make the team and even to get in the starting lineup, which he may or may not do. But as of right now, man, he's he's starting. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. It's definitely way too early. I know a lot of people are blowing both sides out of proportion as far as DGB is not going to amount to shit because he can't get, you know, he just can't get it right. He's slipping on routes, this and that. Dude, it's not even week one of the preseason. Like, I understand you're upset that he's not performing the way he should be, but it is crazy early right now. And same goes with Sharp, man. Like, he's done everything he needs to do. I'm very impressed with him. But until we're playing another team and it counts, it doesn't mean a fucking thing. Like, that's where we are right now. I, I'm I'm rooting for both guys. I think they both can be. And they're both, like, complete opposites. I mean, physically they're complete. Well, and mentally probably. I don't know much about, you know, what's going on in DGB's head. But Sharp picks up everything he needs to to succeed as far as he runs the he runs great routes. He knows the playbook. He's done everything he's been asked to do. DGB's kind of falling behind, but as long as he can pick it back up and just kind of get past these little bumps in the road, I think he has the physical talents to be one of the best in the game. I mean, he's not even close to, to getting there as of right now, but physically, he's a beast, man. Like, he could legitimately be a top five receiver one day. I agree. And, you know, right now, Sharp looks like a pro's pro. He, he goes out there, he just through osmosis absorbs the playbook. 
He's where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be. But that's who he was in college, too. He was the guy who ran great routes. He was exactly where he was supposed to be, when he was supposed to be there, and he catches the damn ball. He doesn't have anywhere close to Doriel Green Beckham's gifts. Doriel should be able to go out there and just annihilate any cornerback that's on him that's not at least, what, 6'2"? I mean, if you're giving up six inches to a guy who's that physically gifted, who has that kind of reach, and those, those big, strong hands, and can make just crazy grabs, there's no reason he shouldn't be out there just dominating and excelling. And it kind of highlights the difference between those two types of receivers. You've got a guy like Sharp, who's a grinder, who's doing it without the massive physical gift, so he has no choice but to be sharp mentally. And you've got a guy like Doyle Green Beckham, who's so scary, physically capable of being great, that perhaps he hasn't been pushed hard enough, and he's starting to finally feel that. And like Ryan said, we're going to see if he's going to wilt underneath this kind of pressure. Is this heat too much for him? Can he handle having a guy like Sharp come in there who's got the whole other side of his game that he doesn't get? Can he respond to that, and can it make him a better guy? I really hope it does. I hope it makes him a great NFL player. He's not going to end up being Andre Johnson at this point because Andre Johnson, year two, already looked amazing. But if he can be close to that kind of a player, I'll take it. The, the, like you said it earlier, Justin Hunter and Kenny Britt, those two, the, what do they have in common? They're both physically gifted. They both could be great receivers, but they're both dumbasses and, and can't get it right. That's that's where we're at right now. We need DGB to get his head right, and, and hopefully he can get past all this. I think Andre Johnson's going to be there to help him do that. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and that's what we're exactly. seeing with, with Sharp and DGB right now. And I hopefully this motivates DGB to work hard because if it does that and Sharp never catches a pass, let's just say, and I know that's not going to be the case, but if if this motivates DGB to reach his potential, you know, and to really work hard and and say we never use Sharp in a game, then Sharp was worth a draft pick to me. Which I don't think it comes down that way, like you said. It's all about DGB's mentality. Can he mentally handle this kind of pressure? And can he Absolutely. do the things he has to do to be that player that he that he has a physical ability to be? And speaking of a guy who's all hard work, you know, the next guy up we have, we've already talked about for the most part, is Trey McBride. He's trying to make the team keep six receivers. Earlier on, I said we probably only keep five. That's with the understanding that those five are all producing. McBride's special teams probably puts him out there. And we already talked about Hunter and Douglas probably being the odd men out. Is there anybody else in this group that you think could possibly push out Hunter without also pushing out McBride to get there? No, I think it's going to be, you know, in that, that grouping that we already talked about. I don't see anybody, you know, below them uh, putting really any pressure on them. I think that, you know, I said earlier, weeks ago when we were talking about wide receivers and our position breakdowns, I said that I don't think Trey McBride had a shot in the dark, and I, and I really have to take that back. He's really done it, and he's done it with hard work. And I think a lot of people are rooting for him because of the way he's done it, and everybody loves the underdog, and, you know, you want to see him succeed, but... I still don't think McBride was going to make it if I had to say today, but he's definitely put himself in a position to do it, like I said earlier. Uh, but no, I don't think – I think it's Hunter, Douglas, McBride, and, uh, and Johnson are all kind of you know there together, and it's going to be interesting to see – I think two of those are going to make it. It's going to be interesting to see who it will be. 
yeah, I don't think there's anybody pushing him or them, excuse me. But I did hear from a source that Ben Roberts is actually having a pretty nice camp, so he he may end up on the practice squad or something. But definitely no no threat to the other guys. Yeah, I read an article earlier this year talking about how Titans fans they embrace the underdog more than any other fan base. You know, we're always rooting for the backup quarterback, for the sixth string wide receiver, for the fifth string cornerback. Those are the guys that we seem to latch on to. So like. Trey McBride, when the love affair was going on for him last year, the professional pundits around the league, the team owners, the scouts are like, what's the big deal? Why are Titans fans losing their minds over this guy? Yeah, Mettenberger. That's when that Mettenberger. came out. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe exactly. it's because in the recent memory, we've always been the underdog on the field. Or maybe because our drafts have been so bad, we're like, anybody. It can't be any of the guys that we drafted. <laughs> One of these undrafted guys has got to turn out. <laughs> And you throw a bunch of tacks at the wall, something's got to stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how they came up with Finnegan. Keep throwing darts. Hey, look at that. We got one. Speaking of another position battle, Cobb has been looking good so far. Sankey looks like he's playing his way off the team. Are you thinking that Cobb is the guy that comes out of the group of David Cobb, Antonio Andrews, David Fluellen, Bishop Sankey? Or is one of those other guys going to end up surprising and take over at the end of the year? Because I'm going under the assumption that Dexter McCluster makes a squad because he is that change of pace back who's different than the two guys in front of him and because he contributes on special teams. I think that's a safe assumption there with McCluster. You know, I think we all have that exactly the same there. I'll start off this by saying that, you know, Flewellen's really pleasantly surprised me. You know, I didn't have his name really on my list, but he's been playing pretty good. I still don't think he's going to make the team, but, you know, Definitely surprised by the way that his effort's been. Sankey's just, the, you said it perfect, playing his way off the team. You know, he's he's packing his bags for himself right now. Cobb's looking good right now. Andrews is on and off, it seems like. He looked hot in OTAs. Some of those OTAs he looked really good, and he's just kind of been uh, so-so since then. I think that it's in between those two guys. We saw Andrews be the most productive guy last year, but... Cobb's younger, has that on his side, and we did get to see a lot of him last year because of the injuries, and I think by the time that you did see him, every team knew to just put pressure up front, our offensive line wasn't going to hold up to it, so I think that Andrews got to play in some games you know, that, that were more favorable looking, so I'd definitely say it's between Andrews and Cobb right now. I like Andrews because of what he was able to do last year, he's one of the few bright spots on that offense, you know, but it does look like Cobb's the man right now. I was pro Andrews back when we talked about him, you know, weeks ago, but I think Cobb is going to beat him out. Cobb gets that last spot. That's where I'm going with it. Cobb has looked better than I expected him to look. And it probably is. We unfairly judged him based on last year when he was never really fully healthy. And like Ryan said, teams were just teeing off. They, they knew that the ball wasn't going over their head. They knew that the receivers weren't going to catch the ball even if it did. And the line couldn't block anybody, so just send the house every play, which just gave the running backs nowhere to run. Also, Cobb is under contract for another year. Andrews isn't. That's a consideration. I mean, we talked about it, that it's not about money, but still. And then you have Dexter McCluster. He's more expensive than the other three guys we're talking about combined, but his special teams keeps him on the squad. So based on what we've seen so far, I think it's Cobb. I think Sankey's just waiting to get cut so he can go try out for another team. He's probably hoping it's sooner rather than later, so he has more camp time to try to make it with somebody else. Because he is a physically gifted guy. I've just never seen him translate to anything on the field. 
we're going to go on from there to the left guard position. We've already talked about that some with the mailbag. It looks like Quentin Spain. Do you see anybody else able to push him out? For a while there, they had Brian Schwenke over there. They, they were rotating Andy Gaelic in there. And Jeremiah Potassi has been over that way. If it's not Spain, which one of those guys is it? You know, I think that Spain's going to start there. It's a guy that I got to watch a lot in college. I'm a WVU fan, and that's where he went. So I got to see a lot of him. And he's got versatility. I think he was a lot better than what he was drafted. If he would have came out a year earlier, they were saying that he would have been a fifth, sixth-round pick. Spain's a little bit better than I think what people than he was given credit for coming out of the draft and what people think. I think he is going to be the starter there. I still think that there's definitely a possibility that he's not. Definitely not set in stone. Patalsi, Schwinky are both guys that could do it. I don't think Andy Gaelic is. He just doesn't fit the, the spot that well. and I just don't think he's going to be as talented in that left guard spot as you know what the, the three guys we're talking about here. You know, I have bad feelings towards Patalsi from last season. I like Schwinky. I think that he could. But I just I don't think it's going to happen right now. I think Spain has that, but definitely not set in stone at this point. Spain's got a pretty decent lead on any of those other guys. I don't know who after him has the best shot at making it. They say Patassi's look decent on certain days, but I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of any of those guys. I won't even say a name, man. But I think Spain starts. Yeah, Patassi should have been drafted as a guard, and he shouldn't have been drafted nearly as high as he was. He, he's a Bottom of the sixth, seventh round guard project is what he should have been drafted as. The fact that they put him out there as a tackle is just more proof that Webster and Wisenhunt have no business making a roster. What was he, a third? Yes, yeah, second pick of the third round. Way too damn high and wrong position. He's a guard. He has to be a guard. He just doesn't have the movement ability to be a tackle. I think he could be a pretty decent backup. I have a hard time with the idea of trusting Swanky to back up anybody because I just don't trust him to stay healthy. He's going to take a lot of abuse being a guard, trying to get up the field and get into the second level against linebackers. I I don't see him doing it. Great point. The last thing I've got on the uh, position battles for the camp battles here is Sims and Riggs. They're listed ahead of Matt's favorite player, Liddy Ray Wilson. Waiver pickup, Patman, B.W. Webb. And Reed are all listed at the bottom of the list along with Bloody Ray. So do you think it ends up being Sims and Riggs? Has Riggs shown enough to push Bloody Ray either down to the last spot or off the roster? Starting with Sims is not surprising at all to me. I 100% expected Sims to be above everybody that you mentioned on this list. From where he's drafted, from what I've seen from him, especially because he fits the system to a T. So that one doesn't surprise me at all, and I think Sims makes the team. Riggs, on the other hand, a little surprising. He's a younger guy, you know, and he's cheaper. So those definitely uh, go in his favor. And he has played pretty good, although I've heard Bleedy Ray's not been playing bad. He seems like he's picking up more stuff. I forget which coach it was now, stating that he thinks that he did a lot mentally this offseason and preparing himself. Patman's just a camp body. Reed, I think, is a guy that's going to make the practice squad at least. So it really becomes, I think, Riggs, Bleedy Ray, B.W. Webb. I think that it could be tight there. I'm not rolling out anybody. It's going to be really important how they play from here and really how they show up in these preseason games. You know, We're going to play some decent quarterbacks in these preseason games to see how they, they're able to handle that. 
best response I can give is to be determined. I'm I'm real happy to see LaShawn Sims is, has been playing well because I've said it before, I did not know anything about him at Southern Utah. I didn't catch many of the games. He's been doing well in camp, so I'm, I'm glad to see that. I do think Cody Riggs has the upper hand. However, I think what he does and what all those guys do definitely will play a big part in what happens this preseason. Patman, I don't see him pushing anybody you know i don't even consider him on on the team at this point on the roster at this point but i I think you know if cody riggs with his experience will help him out i think he's got the upper hand on those other guys contrary to what you may believe i'm not a very big bleedy ray fan but uh i i do think if he has a good preseason if another guy gets hurt then you know i mean he he could easily make that last spot so we'll see what happens i think to be determined is probably the best answer i could give that's probably the answer for any position battle going on this early in the preseason. I think that this listing of Riggs above Liddy Ray is kind of another motivational thing where they, you know, they've missed, they put Doyle Green Beckham so far down. They put Liddy Ray so far down. These are two guys that have all the physical ability you could want, really. Liddy Ray probably isn't as fluid of a man corner as LaShawn Sims is. I really like Sims. The the more tape I've watched on, the more things I've seen about him. And I touched on this in my article. He could probably be the best man corner we have out of the group that we have right now in just a couple of years. He he has that ability to match up and mirror people that Bleedy Ray should have, but he just he bites so hard on pump face, on play action. He needs to stop staring into the backfield and watch his receiver and worry about that guy, and that'll help him out a lot which these other guys, they're better at doing than he is. So I, I think it's more of a motivational thing. I don't, th- I don't think Riggs makes it unless it's just a pure question of Bloody Ray never, ever gets around to looking like an actual corner you could have out there for three consecutive plays. Bleedy for president. Bloody Ray! And moving into this San Diego preview, Glenn, you know, it's exciting finally getting to see some football here. First thing you put on your list here was Joey Bosa's holdout which we've seen here now his mom coming forward and saying they wish they pulled an Eli Manning referring back to that 2004 draft when he said that he was not going to play for the Chargers man it's just strap on your helmet and play I know it's not a big market but everybody in the league knew who Ladanian Tomlinson was and everybody was buying them jerseys when he played down there because he was a great football player you know Junior Seau Junior Seau exactly you play look at Dan Fouts you know he was a one of the best quarterbacks. Everybody loved him when he played there. And if you transcend, if you're a great player, it doesn't matter where you play, the league's going to take notice. Yeah. I like San Diego. San Diego's a great town, other than the traffic and the cost of living. Yeah, there, there's, it's not about Bosa not wanting to go play in San Diego. He needs to tell his mom to shut the hell up. You know, Get off of Facebook, Mom. Just go knit or something. It's ridiculous that his mom is on there getting involved in this. You know, the the comments that you're getting out of the family, we should have gone and pulled in Eli Manning. It's not we. It's one player. It's one person. And what he's not doing is he's not betting on himself. His problem is the offsets, you know, which are basically if they cut you before your fourth season, you don't get your guaranteed money. If you're going to be a superstar – who cares about the fourth year? You're not going to get cut. They're going to be resigning you long term. So him holding out over offsets is ridiculous. And lots of players do it, but the San Diego Chargers have never signed anybody that high with an offset. They're not going to do it. So him saying, well, if I'm going to take these offsets. You have to pay me all my money up front. 
and eat it on the salary cap this year. It's just it's selfish. It's stupid. He needs to get his ass in camp and start playing and proving that he's a great player. Yeah, you now you're risking at the point too is the longer this holdout lasts, the less time that you have to be in camp, the less familiar you're gonna be with this style of play, the less successful you're going to be in your rookie year. Now you're starting to get to the point where it's like how much money are you making yourself lose with endorsement deals, with you know everything else that comes with uh, being a great player, because you're not going to be as successful as you would have been if you were in training camp right now. I don't know that that's the long-term thinking that he's having because he figures he's going to be successful year two, year three. He's going to make his money somewhere down the line. As far as him being behind, I don't know. Is he actually going to camp but just not practicing? Does he? He's got the playbook at least. I think his thinking is. This defensive line is so terrible. I can hold out the entire camp, come in week three, and still start because there's nobody else in this group that can hold my jock. Oh, no, that's a fact. Yeah, that's, that is pretty true. San Diego was, if they didn't get Bosa that early, you know, they were going to pick up their phone and, and call old Glenn Lawsonheiser and see what he was doing this, this fall because they're in bad shape in that defensive line right now. Honestly, with my bad back, my torn up knees, bad hip, bad shoulders, I could probably start on that defensive line right now. <laughs> I don't doubt it, man. Uh, the next thing I had on that list here, Zach Mittenberger. It's the return of Zach. We all get to see Zach, the uh, Tennessee Titans, punching bag for the last few seasons. Go out there and take some hits. We're hoping Jarrell Casey goes out there and lays his ass out. Zach is now reunited with Ken Wisenhut, who's the only guy that I've ever seen who really believes in Zach other than the Titans fans. Do you expect to see a lot of him in this game? Yeah, probably. I would say that we're probably going to see a lot of him just because I don't think you're going to see a lot of Phillip Rivers. He's not going to stay in the game very long. You know, he doesn't need to be in there. So I think you're going to see a healthy amount of Mettenberger. If it was me, if I was Malarkey, I'd I'd let it be known that whoever sacks him, you know, they can leave practice 15 minutes early next practice. Or, you know, if you sack him, we're going to give you, you know, a $1,000 bonus, something, you know, something like a little incentive to to go out there and hit him, like a little extra. And no, let no, it be no. known. You can't have any bounty gate action no, going you can't, on. You can't. You cannot say to hurt him, but you can say I'll give you an extra grand to hit him, but you can't say to hurt him. Maybe, maybe uh, Matt will come over and give you a lap dance. There you go. That's you worth go. it. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll see a lot of them. I don't think Malarkey cares one bit about Mettenberger, though. It's going to be more some of the guys of the team will go out there. Mettenberger was a very nice guy. The team liked him. I don't think they're going to go out there and try to hurt the guy. No, but the fans on our end, we want to see him light him up. And that's what it really comes down to. No, I agree. He's not a bad dude. And I don't think anybody holds really any animosity towards him and stuff. I'm just projecting my own feelings, really. And it's really not even his fault. Like It's just like we blame him because of Rustin Webster's mistake of picking him <laughs> up. Like It's not even his fault. He just got drafted and he came to play. And he just doesn't have the talent to do it. Well, that's just it. You know, that wasn't even a bad pick by Webster. I've never held that pick against him because he got him so late. Now, he was a productive college quarterback. He didn't look to me like in college he was going to turn into a great pro or anything. I blame them for not having anybody else around. You know, the fact that he w- they drafted him that late coming off of a back injury and they expected him to be the savior of the team, that's the thing that drives me insane. It wasn't ever about Mittenberger to me. I didn't have high expectations for him, given what I saw of him in college. It was the fact that Webster and Wisenhunt somehow believed that this human turret who just stands back there with this cannon for an arm is going to be able to avoid NFL-quality pass rushers behind 
the worst line I think I've ever seen. And they thought that he was going to have a chance in hell of being successful behind there. The fact that he's gone to San Diego, who, as I write in my article, hasn't done much about their offensive line, which is at least as bad as ours was last year. It's another recipe for disaster for the poor guy. No, I agree 100%. And another thing is look at who he was playing at wide receiver in college. Like, look who he was chucking the ball to. You know, he was really a product of his wide receivers. Talking about two guys now that are with OBJ and uh, Landry that are at the top of the league right now. And as far as wide receiver goes, I mean, you're talking about top 10 wide receivers right now in the NFL. So I think he was really a product of the guys that he was playing with at LSU. And, you know, it's, it is sad that it just goes to show you pick up a guy that late and then you're, you know, you expect such huge things from him. But, yeah, I think we'll see a healthy dose of him with as bad as their offensive line is and as, as good as I think our defensive line is, especially depth-wise. I expect to see him on his butt quite a bit. I do, too. Speaking of another matchup, there's a guy on the defensive side over there in Verrett who's just, you, you mentioned him earlier, he's everything you could want in a corner other than just not tall. He, he's probably the only short corner I really like in this league. He can zone. He can play up on top of you. For a guy who's not very big, he's pretty good at press coverage. A, a guy like Andre Johnson or DGB should be able to beat him up on press coverage. But as far as mirroring guys, playing zone, he does both of those equally as well, which is hard to do for most corners. He's got such great physical gifts. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he matches up against our wide receivers and what his ability versus their ability shows us about these guys. No, I agree. I think Verrett has the talent to be a household name. I, I've been constantly saying this off season that right now I think he's the most underrated player in the NFL. An immensely talented guy, and he can do it all pretty much that you ask him to do at the corner position. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see some of our guys work against them. I hope he stays on the field for a while and we can get a, a couple guys against him on a, a few different passing plays just to see how they work, how they operate. I, I kind of hope that they tell the quarterbacks at first, throw at him, you know, target him, just to see. You know, it's it's not like if you throw an interception, not a big deal. But, uh, you know, the first drive or two, target him. To see how our, our wide receivers work against Verrett, you know, a, a guy that is that good, especially some guys that, that are crafty, and maybe some big guys in there, and see what they're able to do. It's very interesting, and definitely a big test for these wide receivers early. Yeah, I'm hoping he plays enough that we can see uh, Tajay Sharp go up against him, see if that route running is as crisp and effective against a guy like this who can just absolutely recover from getting beat. I want to see DGB go up against him, because if DGB can't go over the top of uh, Verrett at what, 5'10", if he can't go over the top of him, we got problems. Uh, we know DGB can go up and get the ball. But against a guy like this who can get into his path, who can disrupt his ability to set and jump, that that's going to tell us a lot about where DGB is. Against a shorter corner that he should be able to go out there and physically dominate up high, if not through his route running. And the other guy I want to see is Rashard Matthews go against him because he's so much stronger than him. He's an over-the-middle guy. He does it with good route running, but also with power. He's a good mix of those guys. I want to see those three people, more than anybody else, go up against Ferret and see what they can produce, whether or not they get the ball thrown their way, which I hope they do, like you said. But I want those three guys to get a chance to match up with them, so I need them to stay in the game for at least a few series so we can see that. 
that's the thing too is you know I, as good as Verrett is and you know in that defense and as you know working trying to work everybody through and stuff I doubt we get to see that much of him I hope that we do but I, I doubt we see more than just a few drives with with Verrett in there because of you know trying to work out guys and I think they really have a lot of guys in their secondary and you know they're kind of in a situation we are which is who's gonna who's gonna stay who's not making the team so they want to work a lot of other guys in then you know obviously don't want to get a guy that that has that kind of skill hurt so I, I don't think we'll be able to see a lot of them but it would be awesome to get to see him especially just like you said against Tajay against DGB would be my big two I think we're definitely going to get to see him work against Matthews but I don't think he'll be in long enough to see him run against Sharp and, and DGB but it'd be cool to see it yeah definitely and, you know and talking about that defense which is worse than ours last year by a long shot they really struggled against the pass, but even more so against the run. They were one of the worst run defenses in the league. And one of the things people have been talking about is, you know, they brought in Joey Bosa to help that defense. A lot of people aren't talking about uh, Brandon McBain, who came over from, from Seattle. He, he's, he's a big guy. He's not the guy he used to be, obviously. He's not, he's not going to be the anchor of Seattle's team anymore, but he could be the anchor of a San Diego team that doesn't have any other options. So he could do a lot of good work to help out Bosa, once he gets there, for this game, we're not going to see Bosa. So this offensive line that we're putting out there, one of the things I'm looking for them is to open up holes against this run defense. It's almost the same group they had last year that they're going to field this weekend because Bosa won't be out there. So Mabane's really the only difference. I'm looking to see you know, what the center of our line can do against him and, and keeping the linebackers from coming downhill. Because this is a pretty athletic linebacker group who are really aggressive coming up field. Yeah, I agree. You know, this is not blowaway talent on their front seven by any means. So I'm I'm kind of looking at this as you know confidence booster for our running game. I expect us to be able to to have an impressive showing. Their linebackers aren't bad, as you mentioned. Their line's still not very impressive, so we should be able to get a good push on their line. And when you're able to get a good push, you can really get an advantage over our linebacking core, even if they are pretty good if you're not getting any pressure off of the line. I expect them to to play very good in this game. I expect to see the running game early and often, and I expect to look pretty good. I hope this is just like a confidence builder for us in the running game, setting it up for tougher defensive fronts that we're going to have to face. Exactly. They're not that good. We should be able to push these guys back because if we can't push this line back without Bosa, it's going to be a long season because the line just has not progressed to where they should be. Uh, like I, I was saying, I'm more worried about McBain and how the center of the defense holds. We've got two young tackles, two first-round picks out there at the edges. They're going to be more worried, I think, about the linebackers coming at them. We're going to see a lot about how, Jack, how well Jack Conklin moves as he tries to slide out to pick up a, a linebacker coming in because the defensive ends without Bosa, they're not scary. They're not big play guys. So I, I really am interested to see how the line plays out. But this isn't the test I was looking for or that I will be looking for to tell me if this line is really ready. No, I agree. And so the last thing I've got written down here, this is obviously a, a preview, you know, another one of those way-too-early things for the regular season matchup, which happens towards the back half of this season. When we do play the Chargers, except we'll be in San Diego, how do you think this game is going to be used to set up for what's going to get there, or does it have any bearing at all on how we play them that late in the season? 
You know, it's it's a double-edged sword playing a team that you in the preseason that you're going to face in the regular season. You get an extra look at them, but you know they get an extra look at you as well. You know, kind of evens out. I don't think it'll have a whole lot of of bearing because you know we're not going to see you know a lot of guys stay in very long. You know, and and vice versa for them. But I think this is a very beatable team for us, and I think that we should be able to win over this team. The, you know, this is still a game that's won in the trenches, and they don't have an impressive offensive line. We've talked about how poor their defensive line is, especially if Bose is not in there. So, yeah, this is a team that we should be able to beat. This is, a, and now I'm always known as the pessimistic one on the show, and this should be a win for us this year. That's why I was able to make this one of my pretty easy upsets, you know, the low-hanging fruit. Even when Bosa comes back, I think that by that point in the season, we should be pretty solidified in what, we, what we're going to do running the ball. I expect the Titans to be more successful running the ball. With Wiz and Hunt there, the offense should function pretty good. He did a decent job with them last time. Phillip Rivers really enjoyed having him as his coach. They're going to throw the ball a lot more than they run. But they don't have the offensive line to keep Rivers healthy for the whole season. There's a chance that Bosa's back and Rivers is gone by the time they get to playing us. That's a good point, man. That's a really good point. I have a speed round right before we end out the show. Glenn, I'm going to give you the beginning of a sentence, and I want you to end them for me, and then I'll give you my outlook too. So real quick here, in this Chargers game, when we have the ball, I will be looking the most at... Are wide receivers matching up against their cornerbacks? I agree with that. But to give a, a different perspective, I'll say the running game. Next one here. When they have the ball, the thing I'll be looking most at is... How well our defensive line does it penetrating this group? If they can't get pressure on the quarterbacks, they let Gordon get loose running against them against this offensive line, then we're a lot further behind than we thought we were. Uh, I would agree with that, too. I'm going to add edge pressure there, you know, with Arakbo and Morgan and see how they're playing, and the guys behind them as well. The player I am most interested in watching on a Titans team is... Marcus Mariota. It's an easy answer, but I, I really... He looked a little shaky this live practice they had Monday night. I want to see him come out there and look kind of like the guy he was last season towards the that like that first game. I'd like to him to come out there and look really sharp in the first series, maybe two that he plays. I don't expect him to get a lot of time out there because you don't risk a franchise quarterback first week of preseason. But I, I want to see him come out there and look sharp those first two quarters because he knows, or those first two series, because he knows that's all he's getting. And he's going to be out there with the ones. So I want to see him come out there and lead this veteran group and look really sharp doing it. I'm going to go with Derrick Henry here. You know, we got a... a pretty big name running back uh, and it's our first chance to really get a look at him in action and I think that with Murray being the obvious number one I think we're going to get a good look at Derrick Henry and be able to see him for a while in this game Uh, it'll be interesting to see you know he's a he's a great big guy runs downhill which is you know my favorite football to watch I admit I'm a lot more excited about seeing him play than I was when we drafted him there were so many people you know just the Bama fans going crazy before the draft, they kind of burned him for me because they kept talking about he's the f- number one pick. Like, he's not the number one pick. And I got so tired of arguing against why he can't be a high first rounder that I got more down on him than I should have been. So I am excited to see him play. 
I expect him to be more productive than maybe I acted like on the messaging boards and on Facebook when I was arguing against picking him that high because he went about where he should have gone. He's going to be a protective guy for us behind Murray. I 100% agree with that. Like, could not agree more with that statement, Glenn. Next one here, the first touchdown will be scored by... Bloody Ray Wilson on an interception, return for a touchdown. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm going to go with uh, Delaney Walker. Just He's a, been a key part of our offense. I think you're not going to see him in there very long, but I think you're going to see him bust a big one early. So that's what yeah, I'll yeah. go with. You probably um, don't get more than a series out of him. No, probably not. But I think he'll bust a big one. And that's it. That's all I got here, man. So really looking forward to this matchup. Of course, next week we'll be bringing you a recap and you know the preview for the next preseason game that we have here. Of course, as always, check out the site, twotoneuncensored.podbean.com. You know, you can check out Glenn's write-up of the preview for the Chargers game. You can check out our NFL Pick'em for this season. Free to play. You can chance to win some great prizes and some fun stuff and test your knowledge against the hosts. So that's all we have for this show. Thanks for listening, and tighten up. Tighten up. Let's do this thing. Let's go. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.